Hello. <laughs> Give you a shock. Okay, so why do people line the streets? Number one is royalty. People will line the streets should royalty come out to play. In 2006, I was working in the Senate in Cardiff Bay, and the Queen came. And despite probably believing some, whether I was a Republican or something, in my youthful exuberance, I took to those corridors to make sure I got a photo for my mam as she went by. And you know what? Outside in Cardiff, there were people everywhere waving flags. Later this year, during the Royal Jubilee, people will line the streets and cheer. Royal weddings, people will line the streets and cheer. People come out for royalty. And it was no different in the Palm Sunday text either. Jesus was royalty. He was the King of Kings. He was the Messiah. So, of course, people came out to celebrate. But people also come out for the other reason to celebrate, and that is victory. Whenever there is a great achievement, people will always come out and celebrate. Should Wales win the World Cup later on this year, people will line the streets of Cardiff, no doubt, as a parade happens. Historically, whenever a town or city win the FA Cup, there is a bus parade and people line the streets to come out and celebrate. When the first astronauts landed on the moon, which is a victory for humankind, what did people do when they returned? They lined the streets to welcome them and celebrate. People like to celebrate victories. And what we see in Palm Sunday are those two things coming together. We see the royalty and we see the victory. Because people are celebrating Jesus the victor. The victor who had done incredible things. What was the last thing that Jesus did before he got on that donkey? He raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus has been dead for three days. He was proper brown bread. And what did Jesus do? Raised him up and word spread. But not only word about that, of course, all the things that Jesus had done. This was the Jesus who had healed the sick. This is Jesus who had cast out demons. This was the Jesus who had walked on water. This was the Jesus who calmed the storm. This was the Jesus who fell the multitude on more than one occasion. This was the one who had done it all, and he was the victor. He had even beaten death in the case of Lazarus. So as they cheered, they cheered not just a king, they cheered a winner. Now, if you've ever had a time of success in your life, and it could be you've played with a team or been a runner, Mark and his park run, for example, what is the first thing you tend to do after you've achieved this success? You have a rest. You take a holiday. You go home. You have a kip. You kick back and have a few drinks. You basically chill out. All the work that has happened to get you there has been hard work, and you deserve a well-earned rest. But Jesus, as we know, is put together a little bit differently to us. Just after he has gone through this incredible victory riding into Jerusalem, he got straight back onto work, and he took himself to the temple. And the story, perhaps, we know very well already. 
When he got to the temple, he saw people who were changing money and selling this, that, and the other, and selling things for sacrifices. They were using the temple in a wrongful way. And so what did he do? Of course, he overturned the tables and had a little bit of a barney with the chief priests while he was at it as well, which didn't help his case either for what would happen later on in the week. He didn't rest. And the reason for that is quite simple. Though he had finished this one journey that got him to Jerusalem, that wasn't where the ultimate victory lay. That victory was to come one week later on. Others might have thought the business is done, the work is done. But Jesus knew that it wasn't. He had work to do. And the first thing he did was go to the temple and do this act. Now, the story of Jesus cleansing the temple appears in all four of the Gospels. However, it appears in a different place in one of the Gospels. In the Gospel of John, it appears very early on. The other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it happens just after he had risen into Jerusalem. And over the ages, this has got people to speculate about what is going on there. Is it just that John, being a bit of the poetic figure that he is, is taking a little bit of a liberty with the text, bringing this in early on, kind of, you know, chucking it in there as a bit of a flashback or a flash forward? Was it the case that Jesus actually cleansed the temple twice? Well, the text would suggest that actually Jesus did, in fact, do it twice. Because if you read what happened in John which you can do later, there are different things that happen there than happen in the other Gospels. Different conversations take place and a different emphasis on cleansing the temple. It is likely that at the beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus had once gone to the temple, done the business, and now three years later, he was back there and doing it all over again. And when I was reading through these things this week, for me that was a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow. And I'll tell you for why. I'm used to understanding Jesus to be somebody who made a difference. When he spoke, people listened. When he did a miracle, it changed a life. When he fed somebody, that person was fed. But when it comes to casting out people from the temple who were up to no good, it seems that it didn't make a difference. He went there, he cleansed the temple. Three years later, he's back in the same spot and they're right back at it. And in fact, if we're really being honest, it is likely that straight after the first occasion that he cleansed the temple, those tables were back up probably within hours of his visit. And it's likely that on this occasion, when he cleansed the temple, people were back at it again within hours of him doing it the first time. He did the act, but not everyone was ready to listen. Not everyone was willing to listen. But in a sense, there is something so fitting 
in all of that as well. Because these people were doing this wrongful act. These people were doing this evil act. But evil doesn't always run away. In fact, evil constantly repeats itself. We live in a broken, fallen world. That is to say that when bad things happen, they will keep happening. When war happens, another war will come next. When the First World War ended in 1918, there were so many people, philosophers even, throughout the world who suggested that the world had been through such a horrific event, it would never return to war again. Yet 22 years later, those same nations were going back at it in the Second World War. In 1891, Alfred Nobel invented TNT dynamite. And when he did so, he said that when two armies are aware that they are able to destroy each other, they won't do it anymore. He missed out on the heart that somebody will always say, I will keep on destroying. That's why he invented the Peace Prize, which is so big today. He felt bad for this invention that he had made. Understanding the human nature means that evil will keep on returning. And this in some ways is symbolically found in the temple where people are buying, selling, doing all matter of strange and terrible things. Because, look, I like a good entrepreneur, but these people weren't entrepreneurs. The temple was the resting place of God on earth. In the middle of the temple was the Holy of Holies, where God dwelt on earth. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The priests had to be cleansed before they could go in. The priests even would have a rope around their leg that should they die in there, they could be dragged out without others being made and clean. This was the symbol of God's power and authority on earth. And here are charlatans just on the outside of it all, trying to make a buck out of it. The temple was the resting place of God, but people fundamentally didn't have that respect for God, and they would keep on breaking the rules. And it's the same with the history of the people of Israel. The people of Israel kept on breaking the rules. They couldn't live by God's standards. And the repeated sin at the temple is just another symbol of all of that. Jesus, in this act, was able to diagnose the problem. And that is the world didn't just need a temple. The world didn't just need a place where they could bring their sacrifices. The world didn't just need somebody who they could shout and cheer. The world didn't just need miracles. The world needed a saviour. The world needed one who would make everything absolutely right. One who would make himself a sacrifice for all the sins. To take away all the sacrifice. All the opportunity for the money changers. And all the evil and the sin that would happen. The world needed a saviour. And that saviour would be Jesus himself.
This act of cleansing the temple was the act that kick-started once again the campaign to get Jesus. The chief priests are there watching all this happen and from there they set out the plan to go and trap him, to get him. The plan that would be uncovered in the days that came ahead. They cheered and they shouted the people but they needed more. They needed the Messiah truly to be the saviour which of course Jesus would go on to be. And you know what's really amazing? Jesus knew all of this. As he rode in on the donkey, as he cleansed the temple, as the people cheered and shouted and even took joy in what he was doing at that temple, he knew what was coming in a few days' time. He knew how crowds would turn on him. He knew what praying would come. Yet, he still went on to do it. And that is the value that he places in you. You are worth it. How much easier in human instinct would it have been to suck all of that praise for all it was worth? Enjoy the limelight. Enjoy being the hero. Enjoy being the one that everybody looked up to and respected. But Jesus didn't. He won one victory on Palm Sunday as he got the crowds on the side. But he knew another victory was needed. An even bigger victory. And that was what was to come in that holy week. Of course, Jesus was also aware of the political dynamic which was going on as he was outside the temple. On one hand, He's got the small children shouting Hosanna to the son of David. They are singing this song that they've been singing all day on the Palm Sunday as people are coming forward to Jesus to be healed of their sins. And then, somewhere above, you've got the chief priests. These are the great and the good, the religious rulers of Israel, quite literally looking down, saying to Jesus, shut them kids up, will you? They are making a terrible noise. And if we're talking about symbolism, I love the symbolism that is going on here. Jesus, as we've read in the Gospels to this point, loves children. He looks at children, he welcomes the children, and even when his mates, his disciples, are trying to shun the children and keep them away, Jesus welcomes them into his arms. He says to the adults and the grown-ups listening, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, make yourself like this child. And here the children are, praising and worshipping his name, while the religious are condemning him and condemning them. And I think this serves as an illustration of the danger of what can happen to any of us. One of the strangest quirks of Christianity is we can start off like a small child, full of joy, full of praise, full of hope. We can come to faith and think that the world is amazing and anything can happen, God can do things. Yet when we go on, we can get a little bit cynical. We can be a little bit tarnished. And if we're not careful, 
we can be exactly like the chief priests looking down on everything. Some of the most cynical Christians I have ever met in my life are those in leadership. The people who have seen, the people who have done, the people who know what is best. The people who look down on people think, oh bless them, they don't know anything, do they? We need always to guard our hearts against that cynicism. And don't get me wrong, we need a healthy degree of discernment. That's really important. But we need to make sure we are still children of God. We still need to have the heart of the child, the faith of a child. We still need to have the love of God in our hearts as those children had for Jesus. We still need to have that ability with reckless abandon and not giving a monkeys what people think to shout Hosanna to the son of David. You know, those kids had the chief priest looking down on them. Those kids had the money changers looking at them. Those kids had the whole of Jerusalem looking at them, yet they sang that song. And do you think they cared? No. They didn't care what they looked like. They didn't care that they looked foolish. They didn't care about anything like that. They cared about one thing and one thing only, and that was glorifying the name of God. That was glorifying the name of the Messiah. That was looking to the Messiah and saying, you know what, that's the guy. That is the true king of kings. And they kept on praising his name. They saw Jesus healing those who were sick. And they didn't think, well, I've got a few questions about this. Let's work out if this really has happened or not, or some kind of illusion. Do you think these people are faking it? No. They said, Hosanna, he is healed. We need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts because you know what? God can move anywhere, but he struggles most where cynicism is rife. Where cynicism is rife. Where people are looked down upon because of their faith and their conviction, it is hard for God's spirit to move. And we need to guard our hearts that we ourselves are not cynical, that we are not like the chief priests, that we are like the children. We need to give our hosannas to the Lord with complete and utter reckless abandon and not care what people say about it either. The children sang and the Lord was on their side. And I love the verse that comes in the Palm Sunday reading as well where there is an urging to shut the kids up and Jesus says, if they do, the stones will cry out and sing. It's not just the children. It is all of creation that is proclaiming that the Lord is Messiah. The Lord is Messiah and he has got a job to do to bring salvation to the world. And in bringing that salvation to the world, change everything. As we say, the temple was the resting place of God on earth. But in a few days, the curtain would be torn in two. And symbolically, that was the act of the resting place of God moving from the earth to be in all who believe in the name of the Lord. 
on the day of Pentecost, the fire of the Spirit fell on the disciples. As we read also in the New Testament, the temple of God no longer dwelt in a building, but in God's people, in our souls, in our hearts. We are the dwelling place of God on earth. We are the dwelling place of God because the Lord lives in us. Where we go, we take the Lord with us. People don't need to come and see us. Where we go, God is there. And I don't know about you, but oh, for me, that is one heck of a responsibility. And when you think of this story and what was happening at the earthly temple, then you see Jesus casting things out and busting things up because people are defiling it. You realize what we're playing for and you realize how important it is. Now, we also know that we will keep on screwing up. And a bit like those guys at the temple, we will keep on basically flipping up the tables in our own lives and start dealing the money. And that will be a kind of sin that we will keep on doing ourselves, whatever that might be to us. But Jesus, the victor, still forgives us. He forgives us and he calls us to proclaim his kingdom. And this is our call to proclaim the kingdom of the Lord. This is our call to go out and demonstrate the way of Christ. This is our call to go out and sing our hosannas, to tell people who don't know that forgiveness lies in him. This is our call to pour out the healing for those who need healing, to feed those who are without, to do the things that Jesus did and to truly build his kingdom, to truly make the world a better place. And yes, bad things will keep on coming. Evil will keep on repeating itself. But we are not to grow weary with those things. We are to keep on doing. Keep on doing the work of God. And yes, we're called to do it every day of our lives. But you know what? Some weeks are pretty big. This week is pretty big. And in this week that is coming, the eyes of the world look for something. And they look towards God's people. They look towards the church. They look for guidance. They look for inspiration. They look for help. And where people are looking, there is our opportunity. Where people are looking, it is our time to tell of these things, showing the way of Christ and doing so to build his kingdom. We want to live in a world where there's more children shouting Hosanna than there are chief priests saying shut up. We want to see the Lord move. And the Lord can only move if we are willing in our words and our actions to go out and do those things. So as we go into this holy week, let us remember Jesus cleansing the temple.
Let us remember why he did it. Let us remember the children and their praises. And let us remember that the temple isn't us. We are equipped in the power of God to go out and do. And just as I finish, I'm going to pray for us that the Lord will move in our hearts this week. Father God, we give thanks for the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. And we give thanks for the events of that first Palm Sunday. We give thanks that these amazing things happened. And throughout it all, your name was praised. And we pray that we would praise your name now. And we pray that as we go into this evening, as we go into this week, we would go knowing that you call us. We will go knowing that your spirit is upon us. And we will go into this holy week, this big week, sharing your love. Where there is a temptation to grow cynical, come against it, Lord. Where there is a temptation to judge others and put them down, come against it, Lord. Where there is a temptation to be scared of doing things because we might look foolish or silly in the eyes of the world. Come against it, Lord. And empower us to go out in your name. And Lord, we pray that this holy week, people would come to know you. People would grow in you. From the name of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen.